Welcome to Anthropod. I'm your host, Liliana Gill, and today our podcast will take us to Sao Paulo in Brazil. Our guest for this episode is Teresa Caldeira, professor of city and regional planning at the University of California, Berkeley. Teresa is known for her work on violence and processes of urbanization in the global south. Raised in Sao Paulo, she has conducted extensive research in the city. In the past few years, she has been examining a range of urban practices and cultural productions from the peripheries of Sao Paulo that have been reshaping public space, including rap music, graffiti, and pichação, which is Portuguese for tagging done in cryptic style, often in high, dangerous, and noteworthy places. Last summer, Anthropod had the chance of joining Teresa on a visit to the anniversary party of the local church in Jardim das Camelias, an auto-constructed neighborhood that she has been studying since the 1970s. This episode is an edited version of the conversation that followed that visit. Later in the episode, we'll hear about Teresa's fieldwork experience and the differences between studying the same neighborhood for decades and starting new research in a different social and economic moment. Among other methodological questions, Teresa discusses the limits of experience and intimacy as basis for anthropological knowledge. But first, we'll hear about Teresa's most recent research on rap music, graffiti, and pichação. We'll start the episode by jumping right into the moment when she is telling us about how these urban practices and cultural productions reflect recent transformations in Brazil. Let's have a listen. I think that all those practices, they are kind of signals of some kind of important transformation that has happened in the city. The new generation that creates all those productions is much more integrated in the city and in the whole um, scene of the city in a way that is different from their parents' generation. They are much more isolated in the peripheries. So uh, if you think like the people who are now the, these producers, they are um, let's say they are between, um, they start Pichasson and they are like 15, 16 year olds and they go until the mid 20s and rappers have a longer history. Some of the rappers are probably in their 40s today, but uh, it's a very young scene. And those people were born in Sao Paulo. And usually their parents were not born in Sao Paulo. They were born in other cities and migrated to Sao Paulo. So they have another relationship with the city. They feel that they belong here. That's their city. They have no idea of what is the life in the Northeast or in Minas or in other parts of Brazil where their parents come from. They usually have never been to those places. So they have no memory of anything else but Sao Paulo. They are not nostalgic about another place they left behind, so their place is here. Plus, they claim that the space of the city as being their own, which is different from their parents who construct the peripheries and claim the peripheries, but never really claim the center of the city and the center of the cultural production of the city as something they could uh, be part of. So I think it's a, so it's a different relationship of ownership with the city and a different sense of belonging. 
which uh, creates very interesting things because obviously most of them are from the peripheries and they are treated by those who have always been in the center as not belonging. So all their cultural production has this relationship of antagonism. I called it in one of my articles a class clash because I think that's what is being um, articulated. And so they appropriate spaces of the city, especially through tagging or pichação or graffiti or sometimes skateboarding or um, breakdance. Breakdance was the first form that really was adopted by the people in the peripheries to appropriate spaces downtown. Because all the, the scenes of breakdances in the 1980s happened in the subway stations downtown. Some bent was the main subway station where you had uh, breakdance. And after breakdance came rap and then uh, graffiti and tagging. And then there was the saraus and then came the funk ostentação recently, only in the 2000s and 10s. So there are several forms that came one after the other, and all of them have the same kind of um, antagonism. It's not exactly the same kind of antagonism, because I think that, for example, rap and funk ostentação have very different, different kinds of sensibilities and different kinds of um, anger. But funk ostentação is, to, is much more comfortable of being from the periphery, but a periphery that became like middle class. So a periphery that is comfortable with consumption, which is not the periphery of rap, which is a periphery totally uh, that was rejecting the same, the kind of consumption of the middle classes and attributing that entirely to the playboys and affirming other kinds of values toda a comunidade pobre da Zona Sul. This notion of sabotage is very important in rap. And uh, the Racionais have this phrase in one of their most famous raps. Racionais is, is probably the most important rap group in Sao Paulo. And they used that phrase in which they said, they said, I came to sabotage your reasoning, is, is, a mass, is one rap that they are basically addressing the playboys and the, and the middle class. And they said, I came to sabotage your reasoning and I came to destabilize your system. And there was another rapper who was called Sabotage who was um, actually, he became famous because he was a rapper of a very important film called Invasor, Invader. But the idea of sabotage is the idea that you think you're gonna rule the city and I'm gonna tell you that it's not exactly like this. So I'm gonna sabotage your system, I'm gonna sabotage your idea of being totally comfortable in ruling this city. and because I belong here and I'm going to be in the middle of your way. This is the sabotage, is their presence, 
their visibility in the city? Is there a sabotage to this system of invisibility in which the working classes have always been out there in the periphery and not uh, disturbing the landscape? And now they disturb the landscape and that's their sabotage. I started in 83, violence and murder start to go up. It starts to go up radically. It starts in 83 and goes up, up, up until 2000. So it starts with like 10 murder per 100,000 in 83 and gets to 60 in 2000. So, and the most violent years, the years in which you have like incredible rates of murder in the peripheries were like the, the years of the late 1990s. So, um, and especially like from 1994 five until 2000, there are neighborhoods in the peripheries, like Capão Redondo, Jardim Ângela, Cidade Tiradentes, some others. You had like 160, 200 murders per 100,000, which is like, it's almost, it's beyond civil war. It's just like very high rates of murder. So rap comes from these neighborhoods with very high rates of murder. And basically, that's the thing that they were concerned about. So, the the Hassanais, and the same way they said they came to sabotage or reasoning, they said they came to save the young boys from um, from being basically murdered in the peripheries. So there was this whole idea that hip hop saves. That was one of their slogans. So hip hop was organized. So it had all that class content that I mentioned before, that had all this relationship with the city, but also had this relationship with violence. So they are trying to protect young men from murder. But when Franco Santasão comes, murder is low. Basically, violence disappears as the main thing in the fabric of everyday life in the peripheries. And you have is the you have like the the whole economic growth that happens especially in the nineties and early two thousands. So you have effective possibilities of consumption that never existed before. So it's not that they were not talking about consumption only because they, and during a certain period of time, they had a discourse against it. But it was not only that. It was the possibility of consumption was not given. So, and now there is a possibility of consumption, at least until last year, because with the economic crisis that is going on now, I don't know exactly what's going on. But until like a year, two years ago, there was possibility of consumption. And that was made the whole scene in the periphery totally different. I was very impressed. So you were with me in Jardim das Camelias like a couple of weeks ago when we were in that party that they are having there. I've never seen so much food in the periphery. I've never seen. 
I've never seen, not only the quantity of food was not something that I've been to hundreds of parties in the peripheries. I have been exactly to the same kind of party as the one we went to. It was in the church, organized by the church. And I've been to like dozens of those parties. And they always had what was considered to be excessive food because it was like the celebration, everybody would bring some food. But the amount of what was excessive, like in the 1970s and 80s, had no possible comparison to what we saw. We saw a table of fruits. I've never seen anything like that. The cake and the display of the desserts and things like that and all the like the amount of food and the type of food is just like completely completely different and i think that this is very significant and there are some kinds of things that are very symbolic one of the people who i showed this funk ostentations to and uh, who helped me edit some of the clips that I use in my lectures, he asked me and he said, why all those kids have braces? And that's another sign. Never anyone from the peripheries had the possibility of having braces. This was considered to be a total luxury. So now everybody has braces. And all Funkos and of people have braces. Obviously, can you call these ostentations? Obviously, all middle-class kids have braces. But now you have the older people with braces and all this kind of... It's a different possibility of acquiring the same kind of goods and the same kind of things that the middle classes have had before. I think that field work is different, not because of the urban practices, but because of the, the class transformations. When I started to do field work, I was very sensitive to this kind of to this question of why people in the peripheries would just accept to talk to me, would open their houses to me and would like welcome to their lives and uh, and sit down with me for like interviews. I did interviews of three, four hour long and they would tell me their whole lives and they would talk to me forever. So, but why I was fascinated because this disturbed me and I thought that why are people talking to me like this? Why are these women telling me like this intimate things about their lives that they won't tell their neighbors or anybody else? And to me, there was only, so there was the question of a class, there was a distance, and there was the class distance, and there was this kind of power that I command. I was young, I was like 20-something, and I could enter in any space and be in, in, interview anybody, and everybody would talk to me, and everybody would like protect me, and... And to me, I established some things for 
for me it was clear that the main thing that first brought me in contact with these people was power was a class power and was also there was also a gender imbalance that i had to negotiate and um and i was able to interview men and women because of my class distance like because i was from uspi and i was because i was from middle class and i had a car and i could move around and i had a phone and it said it was all the marks of class that opened doors for me and to me it was a very complicated thing to negotiate and i made several decisions on how to treat the data like for example i promised myself that i would never analyze any of the intimate stories that i have um heard without being because they were not part of what i was investigating what i was investigating was like the political and urban dynamics and not necessarily like the intimate stories that i that i was hearing but i remained friends and intimate with these people because i've never I've known them for 40 years now and i know their stories and i saw their kids growing which is totally different from the relationship that i have now e meloquente nas track moleque fica ciente porque quem anda para trás não pode seguir em frente tem uma paz de speed flow sem dicção sem direção sem noção sem razão sem conteúdo pros irmãos pras minas só sobra o refrão se elas tão contente eu não comei de assalto um espaço conquistado na força de onde eu venho é assim one interesting thing for example is that in the new research that I'm doing about this cultural production I've never been invited to a house all interviews are done in public spaces I ask always people where do you want to meet me when where do you want to talk to me and before I was always in their houses and they people wanted me to go to their houses and to have me in their houses was a as a sign of prestige and the neighbors would dispute if i went to one house i would have to go to the other one just because it was important that i went to different houses i've never been like since the 2000s i've never been invited to a house other than the ones i know from before right and i think that is very interesting it's another dynamic so what i can learn from this production is what is in public it's what can be said in public can be uh, discussed in public spaces can be presented in public spaces and i think that um it's another public space so it's a public space that has for example a space for interviews in public which before did not exist did not have a bar in the peripheries that i could sit down and do interviews Now there are cafes everywhere so I can just sit in the cafe or I can go to the subway station. There is this thing which to me is a social transformation which changes the pos- my position and their position and their relationship with me. But this also poses very interesting relationships because anthropology has this obsession of being native. For me there's never this thing of being native. because even with total intimacy in Jardinas Camellias I was never native in fact I could have the intimacy because I was not native and if I were native I would not have those relationships and I would not have heard the same story 
But I could say that I had an experience of their everyday life. I could go to their houses, to their parties, to, I could hear their problems, I could navigate their streets, and I could, like, I rented a house there and I, I lived there. This possibility doesn't exist anymore. And I think that it's interesting. It doesn't exist. And um, to me, the interesting thing is that we have learned from Malinowski on that is experience that the basis of the production of ethnographic knowledge, right? So that's what we learned with um, since then with functionalism and everything. So if experience is the base of the production of um, ethnographic knowledge, if I want to maintain this idea, the experience that I have now is the experience of distancing and of rejection. I'm never going to be a tiger. I'm never going to go in one of the expeditions with them. I'm never going to climb uh, a building to tag. And I'm never going to be allowed in a, in a hip-hop crew that is full only of black men. So it's just like, this is out. So does this mean that I cannot do research and the only people who can do research are, what, the black guys from the periphery? I don't think it's true. I think I can do research, but my research is going to be in public of a certain experience of the public and in one in which this question of class and race and gender will be at the forefront. So it will never be something like becoming native. Forget it. That's not a possibility. It has never been, but now is even less. But what it means is that ethnographers will have to deal with the questions, what is the basis of their production of knowledge in a much more sophisticated way. Because I am from the city and I speak the language, this doesn't make certain experience of the city available to me and will never do, but make other experiences available to me and those are the ones I can write about if I want to maintain this question of experience. Mm -hmm. Because obviously I don't think experience alone is, um, is the ground for, for knowledge, the type of knowledge, for example, that I produce. Because I use maps, I use statistics, I use archives, and I use several other things in addition to interviewing and observing. And observing is becoming more and more difficult interview is becoming more and more specific and I think that is very helpful to kind of demythify this whole question of the experience and the immersion and the intimacy. Não há distância entre discípulos e mestre Vos apresento nossa identificação ao rap Constante voz que grita mesmo contando suas rimas E aquela voz que dizia não baixa a guarda prossiga Cabreira e cheia de marra disposta a tudo ou a nada Até as palavras que ninguém fala serão contadas O que te serve de normas pra julgar A gente manifesta Pois o que uma não tem, a outra completa Contando os versos algébricos em endereço certo Manifesto meu intelecto raivoso e histérico O estímulo não vem de elogios, nasce da expressão desafio, onde guio meu esforço e segue atrevido. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Anthropod, the podcast of the Society for Cultural Anthropology, produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. 
We would like to thank Teresa Caldera for speaking with us. If you would like to find more about Teresa's work, you can visit the show notes on our website at coolants.org. That's C-U-L-A-N-T-H dot org. Very special thanks to executive producer Catherine Sacco for valuable feedback and Ricardo Cardozo and Mariana Garcia Arias for assistance in recording and editing this episode. This episode featured music by São Paulo hip-hop artists Racionais MC, Emicida and Aistrinca. You can find more about the songs we played at coolanth.org. You can subscribe to Anthropod wherever you get your podcasts. And for the latest updates from the Society for Cultural Anthropology, find us on Facebook and Twitter at CoolAnth. I'm Liliana Gill. Thanks for listening.